Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Eureka, the show that gets under the skin of science as we invite a new expert every week to help us answer one of science's most interesting questions. Isaac Asimov once said, the most exciting phrase in science is not Eureka, but that's funny. We think you can have a bit of both, Isaac. I'm Rick Edwards. And I'm Dr. Michael Brooks. Now, usually around this time, of course, I remind everyone that you are not a real doctor. (laughs) uh, But I think for the first time, and probably the last time, your doctorship actually holds a bit of weight this week. Well, because we're actually going to talk about sort of breaking the laws of physics. And uh, that first and last time thing is absolute horseshit, <laughs> by the way, because there's loads of stuff we do where actually, you know, having a PhD in physics does give me a little bit of weight. I mean, yeah, yeah let, let's okay. talk about that sleep episode we did yeah. where your only qualification was that you have to get up early. Really early, though. So. Really early. <laughs> <laughs> no, but today you're right, because um, we're, we're talking about space flight, where basically physics is king. Or queen, well, or I, whatever. I mean, I mean, you haven't asked me, but uh, I do fancy a rocket trip into space. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I say that. Would I you would. though? Of course not. You wouldn't. No, no, no not for me. No. Even if it was so. free, I'm not. I'm not um, going on Branson's rocket. By the way, I mean that's that's bullshit. But well, because that basically just Bezos, is like a yeah. high. That's just a high plane. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, would I go if it was free? Go and look <laughs> at the Earth from space. The, the end point, I'm quite interested in. I would like to see right. the, the old blue dot, but I hate the thought of the actual journey. Um, like, I wouldn't skydive. I wouldn't but do a bungee. Full stop, you wouldn't skydive. I wouldn't skydive. I wouldn't do a bungee jump. Like, I, oh, right, I, I, okay. I'm a pussy. Like, I don't... Absolutely risk-averse. Also, you've got to bear in mind, I was seven when Challenger exploded. <laughs> okay. And it made quite an impact on me. Did it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was like, ah, that shit can go wrong. <laughs> also, you've well, seen loads of footage of these fucking <laughs> rockets going up and then tilting over and smack. Like, no. Yeah. No, yeah. No, I know. No. I mean, I, I, nah. I would actually worry just about being feeling really sick for the whole thing, which is well, you, you would, know, you would definitely feel sick. It's what happens. I definitely would. I'm, do you know? I once turned down a trip on the, you know, the zero gravity flight. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was offered a place on that, but I was offered it the week after I'd been to the fairground <laughs> and I got really sick at the fairground. Sick, and, on the, uh, sick on the waltzer. Yeah, basically on the waltzer. <laughs> and then I just saw... Just a horrible uh, man just picking on uh, you, like spinning Faster, it, spinning you, you, yeah. you scream if you want to go faster. You're not screaming, I'm doing yeah. it anyway. Um, and then, so it was the week after and I was still in the like, oh, I don't ever want to feel like that ever again. And because they call it the vomit comet, mm. I was like, no thanks. And that's one of the biggest regrets of my life. I should have just yeah, see, done it. Yeah, I think I, I maybe yeah. would do that. But I think if I was on a rocket and like, you know, you're plugged in, it's taking off and suddenly you're feeling really, really sick. Obviously, you're not asking to get off or whatever. You just got to tolerate it. And, you know, lots of astronauts get space sick, even if they've been, you know, test yeah. pilots and stuff. And But they get used to it over the sort of course of lots of flights. Whereas if you've only got one flight and you're just going to make the whole thing nauseous. Yeah. I'm not keen. Be, be, yeah, being sick, not great. Fundamentally, I'm just going to shit myself. Like I am. Like, <laughs> it's, like, it's absolutely terrifying. Well, just because of the acceleration? Or the, yes, the, the, yes. The potential yes. for it blowing up well, is both. your thing? Yeah. I mean, you don't fancy sitting on a like, massive amount of rocket fuel no. that's just being ignited underneath you? No, I don't. Not even for the end product, which is most likely, statistically, you're going you know, to be all right. And you get to see Earth from space. The, the end product, I think, would be fantastic. I'm not denying that. I just can't. What about, because there is, the, maybe we'll talk about this, I don't know, but you can get, well, you might be able to get these sort of balloons 
where you just sort of float up. Float up to the edge of space. To, to the edge of space. That I might have a go at. Okay. That seems quite serene and yeah. sedate. And maybe there's less that can go wrong. I think there probably oh, is I less. No, I think um, there is less. Have you ever been in a hot air balloon? Yeah. Yeah, the one I went in crashed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fuck the balloon as well. <laughs> <laughs> we had a very bad crash landing. It was terrifying. Where were you? Somewhere down in Sussex. And the guy just lost control of it. And the wind, I don't know, the wind got up or something. And we ended up sort of being dragged across a field in the basket, you know, all like lumped on top of one another. Wow. Yeah, it wasn't great. No, that's not great. No, I've, I've been up a couple of times and they're pretty, yeah. It's nice when it works. It's very nice, yeah. Yeah, yeah but you're still a long way up. I mean, I even have that thing now, when I get on a flight and it just takes off, the thing that crosses my mind is, well, this is a ridiculously stupid idea. Yeah. And then I just I, have to I, put I that out of my mind. And it's I think like, everyone thinks yeah, that. I hope so. I don't know. You sort of look at the plane and think, yeah, I, I get, I actually do understand the physics of this, but I still don't trust it particularly. Yeah. <laughs> um, have I, I went in a, a stunt plane, a Red Bull stunt plane, oh, you know, no. the Red Bull uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. race. Yeah. And uh, that was unacceptable. Because there, the whole thing was they sort of had a camera on my, uh, on my yeah. face. And the guy's looking just, for this footage and, straight after the, the, guys, the, the guy's just enjoying himself, the pilot. And so he's doing stuff like this tiny, it's a two seater plane. Yeah. And we're sort of going along and we're at, I don't even know how high, probably, I guess like 15,000 feet. Like not super high, but high enough. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, right then, let's cut the engine. Uh, <laughs> cuts the engine. We're just plummeting to yeah, the ground. Yeah. Um, Gravity's I'm, incredibly yeah, strong, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm just thinking, well, this is this is awful. This is a uh, and, and the guy's <laughs> like maniacally laughing, of course, <laughs> loving it. And then he starts again. Off we go, and then he's doing loop the loops. Uh, loop the loops actually weirdly in a plane like that, sort of fine because it, it's they're quite slow. Like you can't do like a tight loop loop. So it's sort of gradual, yeah, okay. and it kind of like it, that's all right. Barrel rolls where you're sort of spinning on the on the forward axis. On the forward axis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever felt sicker <laughs> without actually being sick. All right. Hideous. Absolutely, right. absolutely hideous. So I'm, I'm thinking that maybe space flight is not for you. It's not, it's not for me. No. It's not for no, me. No. Very happy to talk about it. Don't want to get on the flight. All right. Fair Thank enough. Thank you. Before we learn how to domesticate animals like horses and donkeys, our only method of transport was walking or running. And it's fair to say we've come a pretty long way since then. In the year 2000, I think I'll probably be the spaceships and the moon dictating to robots. We've had unicycles, rollerblades, canoes, hot air balloons, as well as the slightly more impressive advancements like cars, planes and rockets. Our world is feeling smaller and smaller as we're travelling further than ever to more remote places than humans ever imagined would be possible. Three, two, one... Zero. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. But we've all got a limited amount of time, and how far we can go depends on how fast we can do it. What possibilities could increasing our speed unlock? That's why this week we're asking, what's the fastest we'll ever be able to travel? And of course, we have an expert uh, to help us answer this question. And basically, we've got, I think, probably the perfect person for this. Uh, we'll be speaking with Sabine Hossenfelder, who's a research fellow at the Frankfurt Institute for Advanced Studies. And I was very excited to speak to Sabine because, A, I love her YouTube channel. I was going to say it's good. It is really She's good. good. Yeah. She's really good. She just explains really fascinating physics concepts really clearly. Uh, but also because she does really interesting work in quantum stuff, which is obviously my wheelhouse. Yeah. Uh, she's yeah. one of those physicists who's sort of willing to ask the difficult questions that the other ones avoid to the point where her last book was really controversial. So it was called Lost in Math. And it was basically about the dangers of theoretical physicists disappearing up their own assholes with their mathematics. <laughs> and uh, it got into a lot of trouble. Actually. Yeah, she's, she's spicy. Yeah. Like yeah. She, she doesn't mind pissing her colleagues off no she doesn't seem to yeah um in fact you know so i would say she probably enjoys it thrives uh, it. <laughs> so but the obviously you know, how fast we can travel is a question that's basically about space flight isn't it because you want to get rid of air resistance you know you can travel quite fast on earth but you've always got air resistance mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and you've always got friction on the ground so so basically space flight is the way to go the fastest so the first thing that i asked sabine is the obvious question well it's obvious to me a physicist oh, God, so, yeah okay 
It's going to be loads of this, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and I'm a physicist, by the way, so I understood that. <laughs> can we just keep pushing the speed of rockets? Ideally, so that we can travel vast distances through space. Basically, you move a rocket forward by momentum conservation. You throw out stuff one direction and then the rocket moves the other direction. So you need to have something to throw out. So you need some kind of fuel, some kind of combustion, whatever way you want to do it. And all the current propulsion mechanisms that we know, they only make so much power. So it just takes a really long time to get up to high speeds. And uh, if you want to cross the galaxy, it's, take, it's going to take a really, really long time, by which I mean, uh, you know, some million years or something. <laughs> so, so that's the small pitfall. That, and then there's the larger problem is the speed of light barrier, uh, which Einstein taught us. Uh, you can't accelerate to a velocity above the speed of light. <laughs> and that seems to be a pretty big problem. Yeah, there's a few big problems. Um, so we'll start with uh, rockets, which is essentially they're just too heavy and too slow to yeah, I mean, get us anywhere rockets quickly. Rockets are the basic bitch of, 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 yeah. of spaceflight, aren't they? Yeah. In that like, it's just like we need to escape the Earth's gravitational field, mm-hmm. which means you need to reach escape velocity, yeah. uh, which is like seven miles per second. 25,000 miles per hour. So you need something that gives you a big oomph mm-hmm. to get you up there. Can you just explain escape velocity, please? So escape velocity means that you are travelling at a speed at which gravi- the Earth's gravity can't pull you back down again, or won't yeah. pull you back down so again. So you're not just going to fall back down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you, you're, okay. you're fast enough to get away from, from mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. pull. Um, and if you want to stay in orbit around the Earth, you, you have to... Um, have a certain speed going on. So just outside the atmosphere, it's 17,000 miles per hour. If you if you want to be much higher in what's called a geosynchronous orbit, so that you end up sort of just hovering over one point on the Earth, uh, that's 7,000 miles per hour you need to be going to sort of balance out the effects of gravity. It's not like Earth. how you have to whack a satellite up, yeah. for example. Yeah. yeah. But all of this needs that, that massive oomph to get you, you know, mm. up uh, initially. And basically, we just take a load of explosive and put it underneath the thing we want to send up and ignite it and, and you know, channel the burn basically downwards so that Newton's third law takes us upwards. Every, yeah. uh, every, I mean, I shouldn't give this to you. You should know this. Uh, well, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Yes, of course. Yeah. Come yeah. on, mate. Yeah, yourself. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess that the, the, the obvious thing and I, and, and, perhaps we'll go on and talk about this. I don't know. Um, is that you would ideally want to be taking off from somewhere a bit higher, do you know what I mean? So, well, if, if um, you could, if you could have a sort of an intermediate, so I don't know if you could take off from the space station, but something like that, yeah, where you can take stuff up, and then when you're trying to push off for your for your main journey, yeah. you don't need to expend so much fuel to escape. Yeah, because the big problem is like a rocket burns a lot of fuel. Yeah, right. So, so yeah, you have to have all this fuel, and of course, you have to lift the fuel as well. So the you know the more fuel you have, the the heavier the payload, mm-hmm. the more energy you need to to lift it out of Earth's gravitational field. So yeah. so you what you want is to kind of find a way to do that, and then you know, and this is the whole point of going to Mars, isn't it, and the Moon really for for people like Musk is to establish a base from which you can then to much the more easily lift off, you know, yeah. and and go into into stellar space, um, or yeah, in, into so the solar system at least effectively taking off from the moon is just that much easier because the moon's gravitational pull is that much lower. yeah 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 it's sort of quite quite straightforward it, it does to a sort of to, to a lay person and i'm happy to say that i'm a lay person here um it it sort of looks a bit like we had the space race we got to the moon and then just sort of fucked it off it's like well there we go then it does. I mean, it does feel like that, doesn't it? Yeah. It's sort of, up, up, up until very recently, at least. Yeah. I was going to say. say we're quite mad for rockets again now. There's a mm. lot of stuff. Obviously, SpaceX are launching all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, Blue got, Origin as well. Blue Origin. There's there's sort of various programs to get things going. Um, Amazon actually this month. Uh, so we're recording this in April. Just like putting the, the biggest ever set of orders for rocket launches because they want to establish their own sort of um, internet links. Like you know, Musk has done Starlink. Mm-hmm, and and mm-hmm. Bezos obviously doesn't want to get left behind, so he's now launching loads and loads of satellites. So, you know, we haven't done loads of sending people up anymore. 
but we have done loads of sort of establishing satellites, you know, and and all of the kind of space infrastructure that that we rely on in the modern world now. But um, basically, going you know putting humans in space is you know it was dramatic and it was great sort of at the end of the sixties and it looked really good and you know everyone was up for it. Mm. And then you sort of realise over the next couple of decades as as you do when you see the space shuttle explode it's just expensive dangerous and actually fairly pointless yeah as well yeah, it doesn't achieve a great deal it, are you no no so that's um, not the way to explore space ultimately no i think the way that we are going to explore space sort of in the long run is going to be more robots isn't mm-hmm. it so mm-hmm. bigger or, or better smarter robots so you know we put robots on mars and we're starting to see what that's about but you know you can imagine a future where we'll just send robots out into the into interstellar, interstellar space, and and you know they'll send us back the information. You don't need to put humans out there, really. You know, and and when you've had things sending back the information, you sort of uh, threw that away. But that's not straightforward. And it's it's not, not straightforward. No, I mean that <laughs> takes take a while to get that information yeah, back. It, it can take a very long time, depending on how far you go. Mm. I mean, Mars. It's I think Mars is twenty minutes for communication. Yeah, I think the Moon is what two or three minutes or something. Um, so you know you're going beyond Mars. You know, you, you, so so the closest the closest star is that Alpha, Alpha Centauri. Centauri, yeah, four point three light years away. Okay, so that's take yeah. So a, a message. So you've sent a robot there. It's taken them. Uh, by the way, fucking ages to get there. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. then even especially when they they're just there, using a chemical rocket. Yeah, and they're uh, <laughs> they're trying to send a picture back, and that picture will take at least four years. Yeah, yeah. By which time you've kind of lost interest, haven't you? Yeah. Moved on to another star, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean it's interesting because NASA, I think, painted space travel as it was going to be the n- norm. Like mm-hmm. the, the shuttle was meant to be just like, like a shuttle; it was meant to just go yeah, up yeah, and back yeah. all the time, and and sort of make it you know sort of routine. And that just never happened. And w- somebody worked out like what they cost in the end: one point six billion per flight space shuttles. Yeah, I mean, it's that's, just mad. I mean, bear in mind, I get the train from London to Manchester quite often, <laughs> so uh, I'm not surprised. Uh, <laughs> actually, I wonder if mile for mile you're, you're actually paying more. <laughs> it certainly feels like it uh, when I can't get a seat and the fucker's delayed. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, even the International Space Station, we sort of, you know, I, I as a you know science fan, want to say that it's a really good thing and it's amazing, and you know, I watch it going over sometimes, and you just think that's a, that's an amazing thing that there's humans up there, yeah, yeah. doing stuff they're not doing anything that's particularly useful basically no it's all like can we like grow some potatoes yeah or grow some crystals yeah like school science it feels a bit school sciencey massively like like when you um got i had a chemistry set um that i got yeah not a great present actually looking back on it mum and dad if you're listening which you aren't um but yeah that (laughs) it's that level thing yeah and we've learned obviously what happens to the human body in space to a certain degree and yeah. so we've learned some so and it's all such good news <laughs> <laughs> but but you know it the iss cost 150 billion dollars right and i found this quote from uh martin reese the astronomer royal who's you know, a science fan and he says there's no way you could justify the vast sums that have been spent on building the iss and the scientific returns have been meager oh is he, Martin Rees, uh, the Astronomer Royal, is he one of these people that you've pissed off in the past? Yeah, yeah. Well, not not too long ago in the past, to be honest. Yeah, I don't know if he's talking I to me. Can't, I can't remember what, what happened. <laughs> it was the LIGO thing. Yes, it was the LIGO thing. Yeah. I don't stuff. really want to get into that now. No, fine. But just suffice to say that the world is littered with physicists that Brooksy has pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> um, so what about... Um, we said so. If you're if you're sending a chemical rocket any distance, well, first of all, you probably just aren't. But if you are, it's taking so fucking long. Yeah, I mean, ridiculous so amounts of time. What are our other options? So, um, one of the options. So there was this this Russian um, high tech billionaire who's who's I guess oh, yeah. probably been frozen back now. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, Yuri Milner. Um, so he put out a sort of initiative in. 2016 to like look at future propulsion and you know what could we do and one of the things that's come out of that is solar sailing yeah so more solar sailing ideas so the idea is basically you put up a big sail and instead of wind obviously because there's no wind in space uh you use light and you fire a laser at it and the laser bouncing off the sail effectively pushes Mm -hmm. it forward so what one sort of mirrored 
surface yeah, to the yeah, sail. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it has to be obviously very light and very uh-huh, flexible because uh-huh. you've got to get it out there in the first place uh-huh. and then unfold it. And um, I mean, the James Webb Space Telescope that's just gone up, that's got a solar sail on it. Mm. Um, so you can do this. And there's a plan to kind of... Um, to put out something that that they the engineers behind it think can reach one fifth of the speed of light, which is and pretty that, that's, good. That's rapid. That, that is, rapid. is rapid. Yeah, right. But the trouble is that that thing is like the, basically the size of a microchip. Mm. So you know, with a huge sail on it. So so the, I think that the, so how, how the, big the, the sail? The sail is is like um, ten. Well, three meters wide, about ten foot wide. They said, mm-hmm. so that has to be unfolded from oh, this thing. Not too bad. It's not yeah. too bad. But so that will. That but it's will. like a little pack mac Yeah, effectively. <laughs> yeah. But you've got to shine a laser on it from Earth. Uh-huh. So you've got to keep it tracked, sort of. And Oh, that's... I mean, that, that, was, that feels like that's that a big challenge. Difficult, yeah. yeah, yeah. But they're saying, you know, it's feasible that you can do this. And that gets you to about the fifth the speed of light. But it's only the size of a microchip. You know, no, you, you're not catching a ride on that. So, so none of us are going to no. travel at a fifth of the speed of light no, on one I, of these things. But I guess, you know, we would be able to fit... Uh, you know, uh, a camera, you know, and and some form of yeah. AI on there. Yeah, yeah. Which but what, I suppose what is we're what you, really interested in is how is, fast can we can travel? we go? Yeah, rather than how fast can we get something to travel? Yeah, yeah. okay. So mm. and and the the basic problem is that that everything has mass and mass slows you down. So because even yeah, are you going to get relativistic effects at a fifth of the speed of light? Yeah, you will. Yeah. So so some. that that little microchip is going to. In, in, it's in basically sort of, going to have it's going to have a greater mass. Yeah, yeah, it will. Mm. I mean, it's not going to be huge, huge, not, at not fifth huge speed, speed of yeah, light. Yeah. But you know, the, so the whole problem that we have is that we want to we want to go fast, but we have mass, and and that's sort of a problem. It'll really slow you down, isn't it? <laughs> Carry on. Carry on. <laughs> Just ignore that fat shaming. <laughs> and uh, and and so. Um, you have to do something about that because basically mass increases as you get faster and faster. That sort of relativity. Yeah. Not something you have to worry about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you don't see me. At, I don't know. Sometimes you know, going past a defender, you, <laughs> you think, wow, his mass really must have gone up there. Um, so, so you have to do something that kind of gets you out of that problem. And one of the solutions that's coming up is a thing, you'll heard it, warp drive. Yes. Yes. And it used to be that people talked about it as, you know, ridiculous science fiction, can't be done, lots of problems to it. But actually, you know, when you examine the relativistic stuff from it, mm. you can maybe do something with it. So, the, so, so the, the, the definition of a warp drive is just something that will allow you to break that speed limit, the speed of light, yeah? In theory. This is something that I asked Sabine to explain. So the idea with a warp drive is that you get from one place to another, not by moving through space, but by deforming the space around you. And the reason that people get excited about it is that if you know some, a little bit at least, about general relativity, it's not a priori completely crazy, because we know that the speed of light limit really only applies to objects moving in space. It doesn't apply to space itself. So we we are pretty sure, you know, both from the mathematics and also partly from our observations, that space itself can deform and expand uh, faster than the speed of light. Yeah, I think she might have lost some people when she said, yeah, as long as you've got, you know, sort of like rudimentary um, understanding of general relativity. <laughs> I guess that counts quite a lot of people out. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, this is where I it think does, I'm just about it clinging on. It does, does get a bit more sciencey at this point. Good, good. Uh, I think if um, if that's the case, then it might be time for me to just psych myself up and get a, get a cup of tea. Uh, but we'll be right back after this quick break to discuss what it would feel like to move at the speed of light, wormholes, and of course, we'll be asking today's expert, Sabine Hossenfelder, to answer today's question: What's the fastest we'll ever be able to travel? 
the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And we're back. Uh, now, where were we? Oh, we're about to get quite science So I'm going to blow your mind. Okay. And, uh, I mean, so, so we want to be able to move faster than the speed of light. Yep. I mean, that would be ideal for our, you know, can we, well, what's the fastest we can ever travel? Well, and, Yeah, and, and if you're going to get anywhere, like realistically, you're going to get yeah. anywhere interesting, you need to start picking up the pace. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, so relativity tells us if you accelerate towards the speed of light, your mass increases, which makes it harder and harder for you to accelerate anymore. So as you approach the speed of light, you basically run out of energy it takes an infinite amount of energy to go any faster yeah and that's why you've got this limit but that limit only applies to things with mass now if you take the thing that we call space time so you know the the three dimensions of space we live in and the time, time. obviously that we go through yeah. einstein put these together into this four-dimensional thing called space time mm-hmm. and this is what the universe is made of and this doesn't have to obey that limit because it doesn't have mass so basically what a warp drive does is you take something with mass, like me, and you cloak it inside a bubble of space-time. Mm. And then that space-time itself can move faster than the speed of light with you inside of it. So basically you, what you do is uh, you use energy, and this is uh, now we're getting into general relativity, mm. you use energy to deform space-time. So everything that has mass or energy deforms space-time a little bit. So yep. around the Earth, the gravitational field of the Earth is basically because the space and time around the Earth is deformed by the Earth's mass. That's what the gravitational field is. Yeah, so it's sort of like a, it looks like a well, if you like. Yeah, so, so stuff sort of rolls. The classic is the, the sort of bowling yeah. ball on the trampoline, yeah. isn't yeah. it? And it sort of yeah. creates this deformation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we can do that just, you know, if we get a whole lump of energy or mass, we can deform the space time behind us so that we actually stretch it out, which sort of pushes us forward. And we use the same kind of thing to deform the space time in front of us where we want to go yeah and you try to squash it so you can imagine like a, a slinky spring yeah sort of yeah 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 extends yeah, yeah. behind you and then contracts in front of you yeah and then a bit like watching um uh, like a leech move 
You yes, know, yeah, yeah, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that same sort of compression and elongation, yeah. and that basically. So it's not strictly. I mean, I was sort of thinking about this. It's not strictly within our definition of moving fast, because what you're doing is moving the destination towards you mm. effectively. But I'm going to let that slide because uh, I sort of think it works. Yeah, anyway. and and the the upshot is that you end up at a place that is really far away. Yeah. So in, you have in, moved in less time. So I think it, I think fast. it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's maybe slightly. I think you've got to allow it. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so has anyone designed anything that could do this? Yeah. So, um, I mean, it, it, lots of science fiction writers have talked about this kind of thing because yeah. obviously, ever since Einstein came up with it, people sort of said, "Oh, this, you know, what can we do that?" But actually, in 1994, a Mexican physicist called Miguel Albuquerque, mm-hmm. uh, he. Um, I think my accent there was more Italian than Mexican, maybe. I, I think the bigger problem was that's probably not his name, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've always said like uh, Alcubierre. Alcubierre. What did I say? Alcubierre? Yeah, I don't yeah, know what I mean. Yeah. It was, it, it, it sounded exotic. I'll give you that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, so, so this Mexican physicist yes. came up with uh, uh, a way of doing faster than light travel. Or in the, he sort of showed how you could do it. So how you take the equations of general relativity and you impose a big sort of distortion through uh, mass or an energy. And that gives you the ability to kind of compress and extend uh, space-time to give you that kind of fast movement th- through the universe inside this little bubble mm. of space-time mm. that, that you're in. But is it in any way practical? Like, is, is it something that someone could look at and go, okay, yeah, I've got an idea how to build that? Yeah, I'm a, it's tricky. It's a no, isn't it? Yeah, it's a no. Um, so this is, obviously, this is theoretical physicists dicking about with like yeah. ideas on blackboards, effectively. Yeah. Uh, one of the issues with, with uh, the Mexican guy's uh, scheme was that you need uh, negative energy. So if you want to go faster than light, which you can do in theory, mm-hmm. uh, you need something called negative energy to distort the space and time in the way that it needs to be distorted to make that happen. What's negative energy? Uh Nobody really knows. I mean, it's sort of a mathematical idea rather than a physical thing. So nobody's ever seen negative energy. We don't know how to create it. Um, but mm. what happens is space-time is like rubber. So so it's like it's got this tension, like mm-hmm. a stretching elastic band. So if you want to stretch it, you have to put sort of energy in like you have to normally do it. But in the way it works, you have to put this negative amount of energy in. So it's so almost it like compressing it. it. No, no, to compress and contract and extend it oh, to just do, oh, still right. requires this negative right. energy. So it's a, yeah. it's a problem, right? Yeah. Engineering-wise, that's quite tricky. So, so, so without negative energy, this is a non-starter. I mean, is mm-hmm. is anyone? I mean, is anyone looking at negative energy and thinking, well, maybe we can create this somehow? Yes, they are. They weren't until recently, but literally in the last couple of years, there's been three or four papers come out that have actually shown new ways to sort of maybe get around the problem slightly. So this is what I asked Sabine to talk me through. I should probably first clarify that it's still a really, really small group of people who's working on this. Like if you look at the grand uh, scheme of things, uh, you know, it's maybe one or two dozen people and they don't work on it full time because there aren't really any research programs. So it's, it's a really new thing. And my understanding at the moment is that this issue with the negative energies is still there. And I don't think anyone has a solution to it. But that's only for what faster than light warp drives are concerned. If you're fine staying below the speed of light, you don't necessarily have this problem. And now some people may find this a little bit disappointing. You know, what's a warp drive if you can't go faster than the speed of light? On the other side, if you think about the problem that you started from, um, you know, how can we go beyond the current propulsion mechanisms uh, of spaceship rockets that we have today, then if you could at least get up to the speed of light, that would be pretty cool already. Yeah, it's, it's slightly disappointing. Uh, really? I'm, see, I'm not disappointed by it at all. No, but immediately when we're talking about, yeah, we'll be able to break the, you know, the sort of fundamental speed limit of the universe, you're like, cool. And then immediately we're like, well, maybe we'll just go a little bit slower still. But, I mean, if we can get somewhere near yeah. the speed limit of the universe, 
Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we're a species that, that like walks well, that at four n- miles an hour. We run maybe at <laughs> six or eight. It's like, this is significant achievement. All right, all right, all right, all right. You know, um, a few hundred years ago, the fastest thing we were moving on was sort of, you know, donkeys, horses. Yeah. You know, it wasn't huge. And now we're talking about getting close to being able to achieve the fundamental speed limit of the universe. So wind your neck in. Yes, I take your point. I take your point. <laughs> but it's not a warp drive then, is it? It is still a warp drive is because it, it I, still I thought, uses I the, the exactly the same... definition of a warp drive was faster than the speed of light. No, no. Right? So, the, okay. so the warp drive is just something About that warping uses space time. a warping space-time. Okay, yeah. So the idea is that actually you can have positive energy that will warp it enough to get you sort of close to the speed of light. I have to say, I mean, you need a lot of this energy very concentrated. So so apparently it's something like if you had something the mass of an aeroplane, say, yeah, yeah. and you wanted to move it to the speed of light, yeah. you would need something like a third of the energy that's in the mass of the sun. <laughs> okay, right. Okay. And I'm not sure how the mass of the aeroplane is like carrying all of that anyway. So yeah. there are engineering issues to overcome uh-huh. here, uh-huh. but it doesn't require negative energy. So, I mean, which automatically makes it really, really sort of unphysical, if you like. But if you can use positive energy to warp space-time and get close to the speed of light, I think that's, you know, that's quite a significant thing to be able to work on. And, you know, the, these these papers are published in good journals. You know, the maths is pretty sound. And so, you know, what we've sort of established is that, like, okay, this is not impossible now. C- can I ask what might be a slightly um, disrespectful question? The the people who are studying this stuff or working in a, in a field like this, like, I imagine there's not many of them. It's obviously very no. niche because fundamentally we sort of know nothing's ever going to come of it, I think. Um, so is it just like a hobby? It's exactly like that. I mean, it is just a hobby because... So they're sort of doing other but stuff, okay. but, then like, but this is quite fun. Yeah, but that's okay. It's like... Yeah, yeah, no, it is. It is. I was just wondering. Like, it's like if you're a professional footballer, right? Like who the, basically, who the fuck's funding that? Nobody's <laughs> funding it, right? No. But no. if you're a professional footballer, you're not really pay, paid to like get really good at doing keepy-uppies, say. Yeah. But on a training field, you you're might just sort of yeah, entertain yeah. yourself. Yeah. And it gives you a set of skills that might come in useful in a game. At some mm-hmm. point, you know, you've got some extra things. So I sort of think of this as the kind of keepy-uppy of, yeah. of theoretical physics, where but you're just you... messing about with stuff and seeing what comes out. And and the guys at um, like the Jet Propulsion Lab, NASA's Jet yeah. Propulsion Lab, like they're, they're probably fiddling around with this stuff, aren't they? And they probably are getting, in their spare they time. Getting, you, know, um, you reckon they wouldn't be doing it sort of on the company dime? Well, I mean, who am I to say? I mean, of course yeah. they are. Everybody messes around on the company yeah. dime, yeah. don't they? Yeah. But the point is, you know, all this stuff is there sort of coming from the Einstein's equations, the general relative, relativity equations. So you're just playing around with those. And of course, you know, one afternoon you might sort of mess about with, you know, can I do warp drives as a distraction from something else you're doing? And it just helps you sort of, you know, maybe gives you skills, math skills, I don't know, just to yeah, be able to yeah, use somewhere yeah. else. So it's it's not a terrible thing. It's like Stephen Hawking used to say that you know you mess around with like trying to invent time travel because it's kind of fun to do mm-hmm. and it's not a bad way to sort of spark the imagination and that yeah. can lead you to other no, places. I get it. I get it. It's it's you know intellectual curiosity and it's quite yeah. fun. But pro- yeah, pro- probably. I'm not, not saying you know that they should be like funded full time to you know have an institute of warp drives or anything like that. There is though, isn't there? A guy who used to work at the Jet Propulsion. How Puff. Yeah, didn't he set up a... Yeah, it was the Advanced Propulsion Lab or something, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I yeah, think what yeah. it was called. But, that, but that's they never they produced anything that anybody really had any sort of belief no. in at all. Yeah. Which is why, you know, you should just mess around with these things. Yeah, it's a good, good, good hobby to have. Yeah. Um, here's a question. What would it... I realise that we're saying it's probably not going to happen, but what would it feel like and what would it look like to, to move at the speed of light? So amazingly, if you were just moving in a straight line at the speed of light, it would just feel like riding an aeroplane or something that was moving in a straight line at much less speed. So, because speed isn't the thing that makes you feel anything, right? So you don't have any, so it's acceleration that you feel. So so moving at the speed of light, you would would actually just just feel nothing in particular. I'd feel a bit excited. (laughs) (laughs) You'd be looking at the dial in front of you, wouldn't you say, oh, no, we're nearly there. But, um, um, I mean, you would see things. So everything that's coming towards you would would basically turn blue. All the light turns blue because it's blue shifted by the Doppler effect. Yeah. And look behind you and it's 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 red. red. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so you got that. Uh, you're also probably dead because all of all of the particles that you know were, were you know going through space at a reasonable speed are now coming at you very very hard. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So there's that, um, and then and then I mean it doesn't quite work because it, the maths is is incredibly complicated and and not this simple. But basically, if you travelled at ninety nine point five percent of the speed of light um, for five years and then came back to Earth you would find that you'd come back... uh, Say you left on on Christmas Day this year, you would come back on uh, Christmas Day uh, 2082 because your clock, your internal clock slows down relative to Earth. So so much more time passes on Earth than... Right, 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 right. ...than passes for you. Although it doesn't quite work like that because if you turn in a circle, then you're accelerating and you're changing reference frames to be technical and stuff. But but it's a kind of nice sort of Mm. idea that if you travel close to the speed of light you actually alter your perception of time and what's well, so a time relative really to, slows down yeah you don't for, know that you, you don't realize you don't know yeah, it yeah. until you go back again and, and you realize that you've basically traveled into the future and would you be aware that your mass had gone up no no not you know, as long as you're not sort of being accelerated yeah basically no so you know it's c- kind of you know Interesting. Just get, getting up to speed is the uh, yeah. That's, is the that is the tricky bit. Like, mm. and, and, and you're probably. I mean, if you're not going up in a rocket, you're probably not getting into a warp drive, are you? Of course, I'm not. Absolutely nowhere near. Um, I, I've read a bit about um, you know various ways that we might be able to sort of get around the universe, uh, you know, a bit quicker. And one of the things that that sometimes comes up is wormholes. Oh yeah, and yeah. black holes. Yeah, as well as sort of. Almost just like shortcuts to other bits of the universe. Yeah, again, it's like this sort of cheating it's thing. It's a cheat. You're not yeah, you really haven't actually travelled the distance. You've you just ended up. You found a, a little yeah. cut through. Yeah. So this was one of the things I asked Sabine about. Basically, you know, are warp drives the only option? Are or are there other sort of physics-based answers to travelling fast through space? The thing is, if you look at the theories that we currently have. Um, in the foundations of physics, all the stuff that we know about particles and quantum physics uh, and space and time and so on, uh, it's it's probably pretty much the only option. I mean, there are people talking about wormholes and we can talk about wormholes, but the thing with the wormholes is you don't actually know how to create them. Again, there's the issue with the negative energies that you need. Um, but also once you've created them, they don't remain stable uh, and, and so on. Um, However, we also know that the theories we currently have are incomplete, Um, so general relativity can't actually be ultimately the correct theory. We need some way to combine it with uh, quantum mechanics, so we need this theory of quantum gravity is what it's called, and we don't actually know what this theory looks like, so maybe there are other ways to travel uh, hidden within this theory that we haven't yet figured out. Well, I mean, this is a classic case of uh, calm your boner, Brooksy, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is so in your sweet spot. Talk about quantum mechanics and gravity. Um, you're, yeah. you're, you're in your element. Well, I mean, the, physics is, is central to this issue, isn't it? So, yes. So let me, yeah. I'll just expand a little yeah, bit. Have your moment. So, so wormholes, I mean, wormholes have this problem. They are basically a rip in space time. So mm-hmm. you, you kind of, the idea is that you rip it open um, and then you can tunnel through to another region of space-time where there's also another rip. So ideally, you know, you can travel through time that way, but you can also travel through space. It's just literally, you know, it could be a shortcut. The only problem is it's very difficult to rip space-time open. You need a massive amount of energy. And, and to keep it open requires negative energy. So we're back to that problem of negative energy again. Mm-hmm. bit tricky, uh, but, you know... You can certainly find uh, sources of massive amounts of energy, like black holes. But but also, what about just finding a wormhole? So not creating your own, but just like looking for a... Could we find a wormhole well, uh, and then pop through that? <laughs> yeah, easily done. Um, I mean, the problem is that, that they shouldn't exist, really, because although theoretically, you know, you can imagine that they could exist... Have we spotted one? No, no, no. There's no, there's no understanding of them at all. You can imagine that the catastrophic sort of intensity of energy around a black hole could rip space time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the whole point of it. Like you go into a black hole and that there at the singularity, the heart of the black hole is a rip in space time. So you can imagine that maybe you could travel into a black hole, 
find the singularity and then pop out the other side and you're somewhere else in the universe. But wormholes just sitting there, sort of not with black holes attached to them, which you know have their own issues mm. for travel. Um, they they just don't exist as far as we know. And and because we know that it would require sort of this negative energy to keep them open, and we don't think negative energy is a physical thing in the universe, we suspect that there's no such thing as a wormhole. But we don't have all the answers, right? So, no, so we, no don't, we really don't. We yeah. don't know what the final description of the universe that we come up with is going to look like. So we've got quantum physics, which describes some properties of black holes, and relativity describes others. But those two theories are incomplete, or they don't sort of bind together properly. It's like one of them is so, made of Meccano and the other one's Lego and you can't put them together. And Because c- quantum basically is for really, 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 really small yeah. scale stuff and relativity is for the, really, the really big, big stuff. scale stuff yeah. and you just can't, we can't marry them up but no. we need some kind of quantum gravity yeah. theory and we don't have it. We don't have it. We have mm-hmm. some candidates, the strongest of which might be string theory, which you'll have mm-hmm. heard of, mm-hmm. where everything's made of sort of bundles of energy. But it's not It's not a very complete theory. A lot of physicists say it's complete nonsense. It requires, you know, lots of... Um, Oh, it requires us to have like 10 extra dimensions in the universe. That we or, can't Sorry, see. seven extra dimensions that we can't see. And they're sort of folded in somewhere. Yeah, it's yeah. It's all a bit... Yeah, they call it them It feels very mathematical, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, so it is all very mathematical. Mm. And the other problem is that testing that theory, you know, like we test the standard model of particle physics at the LHC and we bang particles together, you know, and you need a really big particle accelerator to, to do that. If you want to test string theory, it only really applies at the high energies that you'd get from an accelerator that was basically the size of a galaxy. So, you know, funding, tricky again. It's quite good. Um, uh, the other day on on uh, the radio show that I do, uh, we had um, your mate, I think, is he called John Butterworth? Yeah. Is I that know. his name? Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, who, who works at the LA at the LHC or, yeah. or, or, or has, has worked at the LHC. Didn't call and, me again um, then. Uh, no, not this time. And uh, <laughs> we were just talking about the fact that they're switching it back on. Yeah. Um, and, and I was talking to him and then dark matter came up and Rachel entirely reasonably just said to him, hold on, what is dark matter then? And it was genuinely quite embarrassing because of course he just like, well, yeah, uh, well, yeah, uh, we don't know. No, we, don't really, <laughs> we don't really know what, and she's like, but, uh, but it's like most of the, plus, makes up most of the universe <laughs> it's like yeah uh, <laughs> we don't know what it is next no. question no <laughs> i really enjoyed it though. yeah i mean there is a lot that we don't know so yeah. so we can't rule out that we'll find some way of hmm. basically you know moving fast through the universe you know finding shortcuts whatever i mean it seems unlikely but hmm. you know but not in yeah not they said planes would never fly yeah i guess so i guess so but they but the laws of physics didn't say that planes couldn't fly. Mm, I they? think some people interpreted the laws of physics yeah, as maybe, saying, yeah, maybe they actually, no, actually, you yeah, can't no, have right. planes. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So just, um, I know this is a sort of, I'm just trying to think of a way of explaining what a wormhole is, even though we don't know if they necessarily exist and have never seen one, etc. But in, in that kind of um, model of space-time where you just imagine it as sort of being a rubber mat if you sort of if it's so deformed that it's kind of it's it's bent round so you sort of almost like fold it in yeah. half then there's there's going to be a point where two two different sides sort of touch yeah and that would that's a that's sort a, of explanation of what a wormhole yes could could be and obviously if you're because you're confined to the the plane of the of the, of the rubber mat so as you're traveling if if you weren't using a wormhole, you, you would just travel in a straight line and eventually end up at the place, and you and you wouldn't realise that it was bent. Yes, at all. Yeah. there's no way of yeah. knowing that. But that's the that's the sort of shortcut. Yeah. It's like so, little... so it's like where two bits touch, and yeah. then you know if you can rip them together. So so then you've got a shortcut. Yeah. Rather than yeah. travelling around the whole outside of the loop, yeah, which would take you know forever. Yeah. Effectively. Yeah. Far too mm-hmm. long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So given that. Um, wormholes and and black holes and quantum gravity are all sort of essentially unknowns they're not providing us with any way of traveling particularly fast through the universe so i suppose we're back at um warp drives as being the 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 best possibility for getting much much faster than a rocket yeah i I think i mean you know solar sails we talked about sort of you know they might but we're we're not going to be we're not going to be on them really no and 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 they're not going to take us 
where as fast as we want to go. So so if you're looking for well, the ultimate sort of limit, like a like a hang glider as well. You'd feel like a, feel like a <laughs> It'd be like wallet. a windsurfer yeah. in space, wouldn't you? <laughs> How embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> What's Brooksy doing? Oh God, <laughs> he's strapped on the light sail again. <laughs> he looks like an absolute burke. <laughs> and why is he wearing a wetsuit? <laughs> that's actually that, that, that's a, a full body girdle. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got warp drives, we've got solar sails, we've got options. Who knows what we'll get to in the future? But um, I asked Sabine about where we might see ourselves, and she seemed reasonably positive about getting at least doing better than chemical rockets. I definitely think we'll eventually be able to do better than space rockets uh, with advanced propulsion mechanisms, uh, new technology. We'll be able to travel faster, more energy efficiently, provided uh, we don't go extinct before (laughs) we develop that. So, yeah, I mean, she started off quite optimistic and then uh, obviously mentioned the extinction of the human race. (laughs) (laughs) She has a point, though, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. She does. I mean, I'm sort of broadly for it. What, the extinction of the human race? Can you give us a little moment to go post-human first? So I think we should be sending robots out into space, right? Yeah. And I think it's possible that we'll be able to send basically cyborgs or engineered humans Mm -hmm. eventually... Um, and I know I'm sounding a bit like Elon Musk here, but I, th- I think it's a reasonable future to look at. You know, when you think of like the augmentations we're able to do at the moment, you know, maybe, you know, maybe in, in a couple of hundred years time, we'll actually be able to send engineered, reinforced humans that are sort of cyborg-ish into space. And maybe they'll be able to survive a, a long journey. We'll be able to establish something and then we can go extinct on Earth. Well, I know that, you know, something that we've spoken about before on the podcast is the fact that realistically the most likely interaction you'll ever have with an alien life form will be digital in 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 some way yeah because biological entities traveling that distance just doesn't seem plausible yeah that we just couldn't we couldn't survive like it's it's wildly inhospitable (laughs) uh in the first instance yeah but also just the time involved no matter how fast you're traveling yeah that's not quite true but within how fast we think we're ever going to be able to travel. You just need to have something that you can just turn off and then it automatically comes on when you arrive. Yeah. Um, so a sort of digital consciousness would be it. Yeah. And I suppose that's... Uh, yeah, And that's I mean, us not quite going extinct. Yeah, yeah. It's us, us sort of evolving ourselves into something really yeah. creepy. I'll take that. Yeah. We should do an episode about consciousness. Yes, like, we should. About time we got stuck into that again. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be a argument. long one. <laughs> yeah, it will. Eureka is a stack production presented by Dr. Michael Brooks and Rick Edwards. The production team is Temi Adebayo, Katie Baxter, Luke Moore and Charlie Morgan. Sound design by Katie Baxter. Special thanks to today's expert, Sabine Hossenfelder. If you like the show, which let's face it, you did... Please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcast. It does make a massive difference. You can also find us on Twitter at EurekaPod. Thanks very much. Eureka is a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network.